Welcome to your Midwest Garden Podcast. Today we're discussing water features and ponds, so stick with us. This is season number one, episode number 14, Water Features and Pond Plants. Hello once again, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy, and welcome to another edition of your Midwest Garden Podcast. Let's get right to the interview with our Rich Giddens from Oak Park Garden Center in Swanton, Ohio. Rich, how are you, sir? What's that noise Great. background? Well, we're next to the Toledo Express Airport, and that's the 180th Fighter Division of the Air National Guard. They're practice, uh, practicing. They're basically they're taking off and landing, right? Yes. So they're not they're not surveilling you, right? Okay. And making it hard for me to talk on the phone. Years ago, and I mean many many years ago, about twenty plus, we were do. I did a uh, a television program, a half hour long program. It was on uh, twice a week. Uh, it was on the WB, and it was at our local uh, uh, cable system. And it, we had you on board discussing uh, uh, water features, water gardens, ponds. I mean, um, and the reason that I we asked you to come on board was because at the time you were the only person on the block that was playing with water gardens, water features, fish, plants, that sort of thing. Now, one thing that really impressed me was that uh, you took me out to a pond that was like about three or four acres. This wasn't a pond. It was a small lake. And you said, no, it's a pond. And it had this spray fountain in the center of it. And you had to get rid of something, which was the smell. And it was for some corporation. And you did an excellent job at doing that. And so we did a, a, vi a video on how the homeowners basically could go ahead and do some things in their own backyard, front yard, or wherever. How long have you been actually been playing with or, or, or practicing or doing what you do with water gardens, features, and ponds? Well, this is our 30th season. We do both large lakes, some 30 acres and um, down to a quarter acre, and then water gardens have been a stronghold for 30 years. And uh, this is probably the busiest spring we've ever had in water gardening and large lakes. Well, we've kind of noticed that the been the busiest season for plants, period, too, for on, on our end. Uh, and I, I can attribute that strictly because people aren't going anywhere. They're putting their money back into their house. They're, they're quarantined. They're, they want to do things. I mean, is that, are you finding that also? Oh, yeah. With, with the COVID? Uh, we're, we're exhausted but happy that uh, people are spending money. It's, uh, well, that is a good thing. Uh, yep. Well, okay, now, th these are residentials that you're doing? Uh, both residential and commercial, yeah. Commercial. Okay, and you said you did 30-acre ponds? I mean, that sounds like it's somebody's, you know, escape from, you know, work, and it was a little vacation site. You're doing big ones like that still. What, what primarily are you doing with those? Well, it's basically weed and algae control. Um, the more fertilizer, green lawns they have, the more uh, algae they're going to have. So it's uh, both an educational program and treatment of the pond to make it safe uh, for swimming and activities. So it basically for like, I mean, uh, I'll just name a, na a lake, Lake Vineyard or something, and that muck that's in the bottom of the, you know, you get between your toes and go, yuck. But the algae basically um, is so thick and so dense. You take and control that? 
Yes, and we uh, oh, we're on a two-week rotation inspection. If it doesn't need anything, we're at least there uh, looking at it. And we retail quite a few items now to northwest Ohio, stretching from southern Michigan to Indiana to Lima to Cedar Point for large pond chemicals and water garden materials. Perfect. Perfect. Now, are these as, I mean, you have to be licensed now to, to be able to, to work with these chemicals, don't you? Oh, you've always had to have a license, yes. It's a uh, test uh, through the Ohio Department of Agriculture that uh, lawn companies that apply fertilizer and people that treat ponds or mosquitoes or whatever, yes, you have to be licensed. Okay, on the bigger ones you're doing, do you treat for mosquitoes also? Um, no, I uh, I don't have time. <laughs> There's other companies that do that. They do. And I've got enough enough going on. Well, this let's let's bring it down a little bit more to Kansas, Dorothy. We're going to be talking primarily on people with their backyards putting in a pond. What's the average size pond that a person puts in their yard? Well, with fish, I would say it's probably eight by twelve. How and deep? And that's a koi, uh, two and a half foot uh, to three foot. When people go deeper than that, then it's a matter of not they don't take care of it. Oh, really? Now, that's, that's koi. Most people stock with goldfish and maybe a, a few koi. So there's a huge difference between a goldfish pond and a koi pond. Now, you know, I, I, I can't tell the difference between an elaborate-looking goldfish and, and a koi. I mean, I, go ahead. Size. Uh, koi can get to be three foot long, and goldfish maximum are probably a foot. Are pricing for the purchasing of those about the same, or is the goldfish cheaper than the koi? Oh, my goldfish are going to be in the uh, $2 to $6 range, and koi are going to be from uh, 20-some to 100-and-some. Oh, oh, vast difference. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, why is that? Um, just the breeding of them, and uh, some of them are pretty rare as far as their colorations. Um and uh, we have all sizes here, ranging from six inch to a foot and bigger. So, okay, you said it was an eight by twelve, about two feet deep. That's a that's a koi pond. Yes, okay. there are people who have smaller ponds that would be in the six by seven, six by eight range. Why do you have um, to have a minimum of twelve feet in length for a koi pond versus well, the small? Because koi don't know when to quit growing, and they can get to be quite large. Oh. Um, they can get to be three foot, and when people overstock it and overfeed them, and then they start uh, uh, destroying plants in the pond and all kinds of things. So, so the design of it is critical if they're going to have koi. Got it. Okay. Now, uh, I'm going to go briefly because you do something with name the different varieties of fish that you're going to be able to put into these ponds. Well, we have goldfish, and within that, there are shabunkins, there are sarasa, there are comets, we have fancy fantails, and they're all in the smaller range, um, up to a foot when they're full grown, and that can be achieved in four, five years. Is the fantail the one that looks similar to a koi? The, yes, and even a shabunkin has coloration like a koi, so people get confused. Okay. Is, is, a, is, a, is a goldfish, like, what is it, a carp? Well, they're in the same family. Both koi and goldfish are in the carp family, yes. Oh, they are? They're, they've been bred uh, 
for coloration and size and um, yeah carps carp can get quite large in fact in some of the larger ponds in Ohio you're allowed to uh, stock the white aimer grass carp and uh, people think they're going to control algae they eat strictly grass oh weed, weeds in the pond well, okay now well, I'm going to go from your carp or your goldfish and your koi, do you have any other specialty fish that you, you recommend? Okay, I'm going to go quantity first of all. The 8 by 12 what is the maximum you can have before they feast themselves out of uh, their own territory? Um, I'm sorry, you said how many fish? Yeah, about. I mean, what do you normally oh. recommend for like an 8 by 12 I recommend a combination of goldfish and koi. So I might have uh, four koi that are going to get quite large and upon that size, and maybe uh, five or so goldfish. Um, it's the feeding of the fish that uh, ultimately pollutes the pond with high nitrogen in the food, and their waste turns into ammonia. When sunlight strikes the ammonia, the water is going to turn green and you're going to have algae. So years ago, we no. used to make sophisticated uh, filtration systems, and it's really boiled down to water chemistry is really how you manage a pond. So the pH has got to be the number one goal in the spring. And then we add uh, necessary microbes to convert fish waste into food for the plants. So actually we're converting fish waste into fertilizer for the plants to absorb. Somebody's got to win, either the algae or the plant. Well, you so can, we, it sounds like you got a complete ecosystem there. That's what it has to be to be successful. Oh, you yeah. know, there was a lady, the lady that lives a few blocks down from me, she gave me a call and wanted to know what to do, you know, and thinks that oh, I know everything, and I'm not going to tell her otherwise because she gives me food. But um, I looked at her pond, and it was just absolutely, she said the thing was as clear as could be. It was crystal clear yesterday that it got up to 95 degrees for the two days. Then it turned green. What went wrong? And I think you just hit it on the button right there. I mean, she she overtly feeds them. I mean, these fish are huge. Uh, if they had bellies on them, they'd be as round as a, a basketball. But right. the, the, she feeds them on a daily basis, maybe twice, three times a day. Could the byproduct from the fish have caused that? Like you said, when the sunlight hits it, when the heat gets to it? Um, that's, yep, that's the number one trigger. Yep. So it turns it into ammonia which basically causes the algae to grow ammoniacal nitrogen. Wow. And it's uh, extremely toxic. Um, so if you don't remove it with uh, beneficial microbes, convert it into, it's going to go to a nitrite, which is toxic, and then ultimately it converts into nitrate, which is a food source for the plants. Okay. Okay. So you have to, if you're going to have a koi pond, you really have to have plant material to take the place of the algae. Okay, now we're going to segue then to plants. Um, what type of plants does Oak Park have that they recommend? I mean, are the water hyacinth, uh, lettuce, water lettuce, or you know, are there elaborate things that you could take from the garden and then put it into the pond itself? Well, we have basically everything. We're going to use the hyacinths and the water lettuce to block the sunlight and the root system is going to absorb the nutrients. And then I might take a belt crate, turn it upside down, and stuff that full of oxygenating plants, hornwort and other beneficial plants that absorb nutrients, 
and then I'll place a water lily on top of that closer to the surface. Now, now you said lungwort? Hornwort. Hornwort. All right. Would that, now, wait a minute. Wouldn't that drown? Normally, I'd think it would drown. I mean, if you um, got it in the water all the time. Oh, it's an underwater plant. Oh. I th- hornwort? Yes. No, we're learning something every day. Good golly, keep going with that. Okay, what other plants? Now, I, I know people that are dropping, uh, let's say, uh, irises in there. Is there anything beneficial for that? Oh, sure. Uh, all plants are going to uh, help purify the water, but the hyacinths, water lettuce, and the oxygenating plants like the hornwort, parrot feather, um, are really the workhorse of uh, water clarity. Can you have too many plants in there? Well, sure. If you can't see the pond, then you've overdone it. But uh, what we'll take is a hula hoop and put a net on it and put all the hyacinths in there so the koi don't devour all the roots and uh, just floats around and uh, everybody's happy. Now, uh, there's a a common friend of mine that's a friend of I Know Yours, and she, I think, has bought a what they call a floating island from you? Yeah. Now, yep. what, what is the purpose of that, and what does it consist of? Well, hyacinths can take over the entire pond. You asked if you can have too many. Well, sometimes people end up with a whole pond full of hyacinths, and they're scooping them out, and they don't know what to do with them, make great compost. But um, So this floating island contains the plants because each plant will divide and make more plants. All it takes is one to fill a four-by-four four area. So we'll have a net that uh, is underneath the uh, floating island, and that contains the roots so the koi don't destroy them, and it purifies the water. What, 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 and what above, I'm really intrigued now. What, other than, let's say, the iris, what other above-ground plants that we normally put into the ground would be able oh, to my. Go go yeah. well in the in a water garden. Water cannas. Uh, you could have four leaf clover. You could have water celery. Um, some of the plants have been outlawed in Ohio. Some of the rush plants, but there's still quite a few varieties that are available. Some of the cattails have been outlawed, but the smaller varieties no, are would still you use, allowed. Uh, cattail. Would you be able to use that in a in a larger acreage pond? I wouldn't, but you, you could. wouldn't. No, okay. they're very invasive, just like the Phragmites that can take over. And I hear daily. I just wanted a cute little patch, and it got out of control. And then they have a monster on their hands. Okay, and so that's not recommended. Is this something that's considered an invasive plant within the state of Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, et cetera? Uh, cattails and Phragmites are yes. Okay. Are you allowed to, let's say, go out? I know people that are going out getting milkweed out of the middle of, you know, by the railroad tracks or, you know, some asparagus that's been planted out there from the Depression era, popping it out, taking it, putting it in the back of their car and going. I mean, is that against the law to do things of that nature or is it something? Well, I think there's a a law if you're trespassing, number one, but there's a law with some of the cattails and phragmites uh, especially. You're not allowed to uh, distribute or uh, replant. I know what a cattail is. Can you tell me what a phragmite is? Well, it looks like a cattail, but it gets taller. Uh, Lake Erie, uh, Maumee Bay, um, all around different ponds in this area. And they'll get to be 15 foot tall and grow uh, rhizome roots that'll spread out 20 foot or more and pop up 
Okay, um, I can see why it's invasive then. They're, they're quite invasive, yeah. They have a pretty plume in the fall, but it's the rhizome root that does the most damage. Uh, now, I know that there's a, there's a fish that's out there that's nicknamed the mosquito fish. Do you sell those? Yeah, we do. It's called a gambusia, and uh, they'll get to be maybe two and a half inches long at full growth, and they eat mosquito larvae, and they give uh, birth every 21 days. And at some point, we don't have mosquitoes here because we have so much water with gambusia. So the mosquitoes lay their larvae, and the little gambusia take care of them. So this is a beneficial also for the yeah. pond. It's, it's a cultural method of controlling the mosquitoes without putting any chemicals in it. Right. Are there chemicals that are going to, I mean, all right, a clarifier. What is the purpose of a clarifier? Well, it's usually a polymer that's going to coagulate all the particles in the water column and drop them to the bottom. Oh. And then the sludge digesters and the beneficial microbes uh, will do their job to help clean that up. Um, I don't promote skimmers on ponds. Um, most everybody that has a swimming pool has a long pole with a net on it that scoops things out. But the sludge digesters... Uh, muck digesters really do a number on dissolving all the junk on the bottom. So if I live in the country and I have a septic tank, I'm going to use Ridex or one of those products in the septic tank to um, take the solids into a liquid so it goes through the leach field. Well, in the pond, it's basically doing the same thing. The microbes are going to convert all of the fish waste and all of the muck on the bottom uh, into liquid. Is that something that also the plants that you have in there are going to be utilizing? Yes. So the, yep. the Ridex doesn't do any harm to the, to the water or the plant? Well, I'm not going to use Ridex in a water garden. Oh. We sell specific blends of microbes for water gardens. I was you were using that as a camp. comparison? Yes. Okay. Uh, Scott's got a pool, and I, he's out there working on it, you know, like 24-7. Uh, he is. No, uh, I'm not. You are too. Yeah, I got just... the pool down. It's been 20 some years. I got it down. He works on it that huh. often. It's a high maintenance position. That's what it is. Now, are ponds as high maintenance as I'm beginning to think they are? No. In fact, if you understand a swimming pool, you could buy a semi load of chlorine, and if it's not working, well, then obviously the pH is off. And it's basically the same thing in the water garden. That's the critical thing in the spring or any new pond that you have to adjust the pH. Algae likes high pH. Everything else likes medium or neutral pH or slightly acidic. So on a scale of 1 to 14, 7 being neutral, I want it 7, 7, 5 at the most. When it gets to be 8, 5, 9, then you're going to have an algae bloom. Oh. Now, see that? that, that uh, we're noticing a bunch of that now. I mean, I, I've been getting a bunch of people that have been calling me, and, and I've been, I don't know, squat. Now, I'm, I've been referring Oak Park, and you're overtly busy. What's, uh, what is your, uh, I mean, you're, you're busy right now. Let's say if I'm calling up Mike O'Rourke's here. Hi, I'm a friend of yours. I want to capitalize on uh, being a friend. You can let me in early. You'll say, blow it out your ear, Mike. What is your waiting, I mean, a period? I mean, how long is it, if I were to call, how long do you think it would take before you were able to do anything? Well, right now um, we're too busy with our garden center and sales here. So 
we typically haven't installed ponds until August, September, October, November uh, for years now. Oh, you, so, so that's the time of the year that you're doing them? Yes. Um, then my large pond operation winds down, and then I have quality time for water gardens. And we're probably doing more water features. The difference between a water garden and a water feature is that water gardens are with plants and fish. A water feature is water movement, maybe a disappearing, and we do quite a few disappearing with waterfall into a bed of stone, and there's very little, if any, maintenance involved in those. Now, do you set, really? Um, the one that you, that I recall you did, you and the missus did a long time ago for the WB, was a water feature. You had a statue. It was kind of like a combination of a, a, a birdbath and a statue where a smaller pump would be pumping in and the water would be pouring out of the uh, basin of the, of the uh, what do you want to call that, the birdbath itself, and then it, it would go down into the, the stone. But right. in, into the stone, you had like a basin for the water collection in the pump. Yeah, and we use field tile and we'll use that for water storage, and then we'll put a fabric over the field tile and top dress that with a thin layer of stone. That way the water stays in year-round. We don't have to drain it. We don't have to do anything with it. And now I've got plenty of water to uh, uh, run the water feature. You don't have to, dr you don't have to drain that for, for the winter? Aren't you afraid, I mean, of water freezing in the, in the pump or even in the, in the basin itself? Well, the pump comes out. Oh, but the okay. Basin, um, everything stays in place. Um, so the pump comes out, takes about five minutes to take it out, put it in the heated uh, house for the winter, and then put it back in the spring, and it's ready to go. If so I'm, it's so much easier to keep clean because all you really need is a leaf blower to blow leaves off the stone. And uh, whenever you have algae, that means that you've got two inches, six inches, two foot of water, and now there's more area for the algae to grow on. Okay, okay. On pumps. Now, uh, there's a vast variety of different manufacturers and different pumps. Size of pond is going to dictate you've got to have so much water circulated for, per hour. Now, I know what GPH stands for. It's gallons per hour. The real itty-bitty ones for, like, the water features or even little little statues where you got the little boy peeing and he's, you know, it continues to pee, is like a 90-gallon per hour or 90 GPH. Um, they, they can go as high as what? Oh, I have 10,000-gallon per hour pumps. Um, that's massive waterfalls. You know, and everybody wants to know what size pump, and technically you're supposed to pump half the volume of the pond an hour with fish. I judge that with my eyes. Boy, I like what I see. And there are a lot of people that end up buying three pumps before they find the one they like. <laughs> you can always turn a pump down, you just can't turn it up. So we like to make sure that people walk around here and they see boy, I like the amount of water I see in this pond. And we've probably got around eight ponds here and 20 water features running at all times so they can judge how much water they want to see. You've a got... typical water feature might be 250, um, and then there's some large ponds that have enormous pumps. You have a big pond in front of your place. How, many, how big is that? It's uh, 
smaller than a quarter acre. A quarter of an acre of a pond. So, yeah. okay, so a quarter acre there, what's the smallest one that you have over there? You said you had over seven of them? Well, some of the water gardens, the uh, smallest one is probably seven by um, eight. And then the water features are anything from a couple feet up to, we have some that have uh, six or seven water features running in, in one area, one pond or one feature. Wow. Wow. Okay. Now, uh, plants for the, for, let's say the, the person that's just going to get started, average plants that you're going to want in there, water hyacinth, lettuce, anything else that's submerged like the iris, something that's going to be beneficial. You've already named two different varieties. Oxygenators. Oxygenators. Um, I mean, are there any type of oxygenators other than, let's say, what are they? It's like an algae? Well, uh, the oxygenators are going to look like an aquarium plant. In fact, uh, a lot of them have uh, uh, been outlawed in Ohio. Uh, we used to sell a lot of anacris and different plants. Why are they outlawed? Well, they're afraid that they're going to get into the Great Lakes and overtake things, and I don't really see that with a water garden. Um, uh, I'm not sure who makes up these, these lists, but uh, anacris has never been an issue. Uh, they don't typically make it through the winter. Uh, hornwort typically does, but uh, it's not horribly invasive. Well, the water, um, we, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't parrot need to feather, know. Yeah, parrot feather has been on the list for a couple years now. We can sell a miniature variety, but we can't sell the standard variety. I mean, it's not like bringing in the mussels that are out there supposedly taking over or that, that, that carp that's leaping out into people's boats. Um, right. It's a freshwater plant, I know. It's something that helps to oxygenate. It does it clarify also? Yes. Okay. Very much so. Um, then uh, other critters, for instance, they're you, if you, they're coming back left and right. Kids are out there going, you know, the great black swamp out here, and you know, by oak openings and that. Uh, Todd Crail, he and his daughter are going out to the creeks and into the swamp area, and they're finding crawfish or crawdads. Can you put those in there? Or are those going to be not too good? Not a good idea. We actually sell them. Um, my grandson catches them, and we're allowed to sell them. We're allowed to sell tadpoles. Um, I was going to go to that one. Other, other different types of minnows. Um, are the crayfish or snails going to uh, fix your pond? No. Um, they're just fun to have. Do you sell turtles? Um, I'm not licensed to sell turtles. Oh, you got to be um, licensed, huh? There's there there was we a young lady that for the company that, that Scott and I worked for, she had one that you know the carnival a little painted turtle it's only about the size of a fifty cent piece well she had actually won two of them, they ended up taking him to the his mother's her mother's doctor's office where they had a large aquarium let him live there in it they got too big so we dropped right. them in into our pond, and they lived there for about eight years I, I mean the two of them were I don't know what sex they were or anything but it was it was. It was so cool because they would go down below the freeze line of the water in the wintertime. They'd come up. Every once in a while, we had one that wanted to escape and do something. Now, I don't know if they lay eggs or not, but she'd go out on a little adventure and then come back. Um, turtles are not indigenous. At least the painted ones are not. But um, you, uh, bullfrogs, do they continue to come back? I mean, let's just say that you're going to start out with polywogs or what, what are they called? Uh, minnows? Not minnows. What are they called? Polywogs? Tadpoles. Tadpoles. 
Now, there's yeah. uh, is a tadpole a bullfrog, or is that a? Yeah, it is. Well, there's different types, but a tadpole bullfrog uh, is going to turn into a bullfrog in two years. It takes tadpoles two years to turn into a, a frog. Um, I'm allowed to sell tadpoles, and some of them they're just starting to uh, form legs, and we probably sell on a weekend. We might sell several hundred, um, and. Uh, uh, bullfrogs are going to stay around the pond. I don't recommend keeping them in the pond for the winter, so I'm going to release them in a nearby creek or pond, and they'll hop back to the pond next year. Really? It's, yeah. it's, it's their territorial. Now, they sing, too. I mean, you hear them all the time because you've oh, got that quarter-acre pond out there. But they have all different varieties of singing. They're like high whistles, high-pitched whistles to the bellowing belch that you'll hear from it on a, on a continued basis. Is that a mating call? Yes. Uh, you're probably hearing the tree frogs more than the bullfrogs. Bullfrogs are going to have a deep... Uh, uh, <laughs> there you go. Whoa. And the tree frogs are the ones that sing uh, real screeching, loud noise, sound like a bird sometimes. Yeah, but, a lot of people think of them as crickets. and No, those are <laughs> actually tree frogs. Yep, and we've got quite a few of all those here. <laughs> you got now? Do they enjoy the ponds themselves? Also, I mean, is it going to draw some other things in? Oh, sure. Yeah. All right. Now, I had a lady friend who went out in the morning. She has this huge pond. I want to say to me, huge is anything over five hundred gallons. And her husband noticed that. When did you get that ornament in the middle of the pond? And, what, you know, she goes, well, I guess she had all sorts of new, neat things in there. No, he thought it was a, a little mini statue of a bird with a long beak on it. Now, I don't know if it was an egret or a crane, but she ran out there with a, with a broom. And that sucker, there was a cat fight going on. Um, right. Do they, they're coming in from Great Lake? Well, they're very territorial. But, uh, yes, it's a, a lot of people lose their fish with herons primarily. And so it's all in the design of the pond. In other words, we don't believe in shelves for ponds because of raccoons and herons. If they can touch the bottom, they're going to go in. A heron doesn't uh, float around like a duck. He needs to touch the bottom and walk around. So we changed our design years ago and eliminated the step, people call it a shelf. And that was for and plants. That was for plants. So now we've learned, boy, if we elevate those plants on milk crates and stuff them with the hornwort and the beneficial oxygenating plants, now I can clean the pond out in the fall. Everything comes out. I can clean it out. You could rent a vacuum from us or just use a net. And it's so much easier to maintain. But now we don't have the raccoon and heron problem um, that a lot of people have. Okay. All right, because I, it seems like even the heron, see, I didn't know what you called it. It was just a big bird. Um, but they seem to be going for the koi over the goldfish. They know what they're going after, don't they? Unfortunately, if the koi is too big, they'll spear it and yeah. put it on, on land and don't, it die. don't know what to do with it. It dies, and they, yeah, it's, oh. uh, it's a real problem. And you're not allowed to uh, kill herons, so um, well. you have to learn how to scare them away. So we do sell statues of herons because they're so territorial. If they see another heron, they don't uh, want to be in that area. So it's like a scarecrow. Yes. Keep it off. Um, 
Go ahead. So while we're talking maintenance a little bit, if a new customer comes to you, what do you tell them about as far as their responsibility in the amount of time that one should look into spending taking care of a new pond or, you know, that they're putting or you're putting in for them? I mean, you know, it's like a puppy. You got to take care of it once it's in, too. So just some ideas on uh, what it really takes uh, the homeowner as far as their responsibility. Well, we do free water testing here, but we encourage people to buy a water test kit. And that's a little tube, and you put some water in it, uh, five low drops, and we're going to test for pH. And then we're going to show them how to take care of the pH, and then we have what is called a buffer so we can stabilize the pH. So the first question that we ask when somebody walks in the door, how big is your pond? I need to know gallons, so we're going to multiply length times width times average depth times 5.9 if it's elliptical, or if it's geometric, it would be 7.5. I need to know that so I can teach them how much pH reducer to use and different uh, chemicals that we have here. Uh, That's the first step. And a lot of people have no idea about the size of their pond. So um, how much time does it take to maintain a pond a week? Once you get the chemistry in place, you're going to spend some time netting debris out. We've had a lot of wind last couple weeks, so there's always going to be debris. So you want to scoop that out so uh, it doesn't collect on the bottom. And if you're not willing to do that and look at the fish and enjoy life, then maybe you need a water feature instead. Ooh, subtle. And, you know, it's like you don't need a dog if you're going to tie it up and put it outside in the middle of the wintertime. Maybe you need, you know, an alarm system. Um, Right. That was subtle. That was good. I like that. Um, Okay. Well, what do you think that we did not hit, hit, Rich? I mean, you know, again, this is zones five and six. Going east to west, uh, bottom under the southern portion of the Great Lakes. For anybody that's going to be starting, um, what is the primary recommendations or steps you're going to recommend that they take so that they can even contact Oak Park Garden Centers and Ponds at uh, the website that we're going to announce? Um, what do you recommend they do? Well, if they're interested in a water garden with fish, I'm going to recommend that they take a lawn chair and set it out where the future waterfall might be. Can I see it from inside the house looking out? Can I see it from the patio? Can I see it from multiple areas? Because a lot of times people uh, put the waterfall facing away from the house, don't know why. (laughs) But uh, if you're going to spend money on something like this, be able to see it. And then take into consideration the landscaping, the plant material that's going to go around this when it's done to give yourself plenty of room so that you can maintain it and it's a finished product versus just a water hole with some stone around it. I want some proper plantings, maybe Japanese maple, maybe some choice perennials and some unusual evergreens for winter effect, just so you can enjoy it year-round. So this is, this is a part of the, the, uh, the furniture, except it's outdoors. This is part of the house. This is outdoor rec room. But you can enjoy that. Can you enjoy it in the wintertime also with lighting and things of this nature? Yeah, right up until sometimes uh, mid-December. I'm going to pull the pump for winter because what kills fish is 
pump running in the wintertime because the water temperature under the ice is going to be 33 degrees. The number one culprit of fish death is people feeding them too late in the season. They can't digest the food and they get sick from that. Or dead frogs because frogs need to burrow into something, not the rubber liner. And so, you know, people use heaters and they run a pump and they do this and that. We suggest that the pond is clean, no debris on the bottom, and then we have a little device that is a pond breather. So I want my pond to freeze over. Ice is my friend. I know the water temperature under the ice is 33 degrees. I just need the gases to be vented from the area, from the ice, so that the toxic hydrogen sulfide gases that would accumulate don't um, uh, kill the fish. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Scott, do you have any other questions? I'm actually, normally we're having fun with this. I'm, I'm more interested rather than having fun. I'm more, more yeah. interested in learning. No, very informative. Um, is there any way that, let's say, toward the autumn that we can get a hold of you and then your suggestions on what to do as far as closing ponds and things of this nature? Sure. Oh, Rich, I appreciate this very much. Ladies and gentlemen, guys and gals, this is Rich Giddens. He and his wife, uh, Diane Giddens, are proprietors and owners of Oak Park Garden Center, and that's located in Swanton, Ohio. Um, If you have any questions, they can get a hold of the Giddenses at their website. And what is that? OakParkWaddenGarden.com. Rich, thank you very much for coming on board. Yes, thank you very much. Um, And I'm going to be closing right now. uh, For once, this is number 11, and I'm being absolutely serious. No, it's 14, actually. Uh, Rich, you've been doing this for 30-plus years. You've just given me one heck of an education. And, Scott, if you were a television set, you, he would have his eyes on you, but he was just taking notes left and right. So, you're, I mean, you're taking on more business than I think you're going to want, but you never want enough, do you? <laughs> if we could hire more people, we would. Thank you, Rich. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Hey, we'd like to thank Black Diamond Garden Centers for sponsoring your Midwest garden. We record this podcast on site at the Toledo location amidst all the smells of budding flowers, the manures, the chicken schmutz, you name it. If you're in the Toledo or Perrysburg, Ohio area, please stop by either Black Diamond location for all your gardening needs. And remember, ask someone who knows.